We live in a world plagued by pornography and people are looking for help. When an individual struggles with pornography, they often turn to their church leader for that help. How does a leader help a person overcome the shame of this issue and start seeing positive progress? How can a leader help youth to open up about struggles with pornography? What are some lasting proven tactics that actually make a difference? In order to help, Leading Saints has created the Liberating Saints Library with more than 20 presentations featuring individuals who have a unique perspective or expertise around this topic. Three of those most popular sessions are available to watch now. Simply text the word LEAD to 474747 to start watching now or visit leadingsaints.org liberating. My name is Art O'Connor and I live in Provo and I serve as an Elders Quorum President and I support Leading Saints because it has seriously helped me find a direction in my leadership and it has helped me to open my eyes to the different possibilities there are serving as a leader and also after I'm done with leadership, right? Once I've been released, I know how to be a leader from anywhere I am serving. So Leading Saints is the best. This is another How I Lead episode on the Leading Saints podcast, where we talk with everyday leaders about how they lead. Now, if you're new to Leading Saints, you should be sure to subscribe to the Leading Saints podcast on whatever podcasting platform you use. We'd appreciate it. Now, Leading Saints is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we're dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And these How I Lead segments is one way that we do just that, learning from people who know they haven't written books. No, they don't have courses. Most of them just go to work Monday through Friday as an accountant or a baker, or a butcher, or a candlestick maker, or none of those things. But anyways, my point being is that these How I Lead segments really help understand what other people are doing. Those that are in the trenches, that are really living and applying uh, leadership principles in the laboratory of life to really see what's working. And today is an international episode, as I call it, where we talk with Bishop Joshua Konitz, who is a bishop in Germany, to be more specific, near the Frankfurt, Germany area. In fact, he says he can walk to the temple from where he lives, the Frankfurt Temple. So that's pretty cool. Not too many international Latter-day Saints get that opportunity. And in this episode, he talks about uh, things like leading with authenticity and integrity. He talks about influence as far as how to influence people to move, to do things, to act. And uh, you're going to enjoy it all. So here is my interview with Bishop Joshua Konitz in Frankfurt, Germany. Welcome back to another segment of the How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. And today I'm joined on the opposite side of the globe with Joshua Konitz. How are you, Joshua? Very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kurt. Yeah, this is uh, fun. It's, I love connecting with people in different countries, especially in Europe, whatnot. And, you know, especially it's one thing to be a Utah Latter-day Saint, but to sometimes I'm a USA Latter-day Saint, right? And there's the church is happening everywhere. And it's just interesting to, to learn more about the church elsewhere. So uh, where are you from? And tell us about the area a little bit. Yeah, so me and my family, we live in Friedrichsdorf, which is a small place near the Frankfurt area in the center of Germany, really. We live in the same city where we have the Frankfurt Germany Temple. So it's not actually in the city of Frankfurt. It's 20 minutes north in Friedrichsdorf. And uh, so it's a 10-minute walk from the temple. That's where we live, basically. Oh, wow. Beautiful little place. 
You might as well live in Utah if you're 10 minute walk from the temple. That's great. Yes, it is. And we have a lot of members. So we have a big ward here. So we have a, a few members in, in the city, which is really, really nice. So yeah, I would even say it's, it may be a small, small replication of Utah here. Yeah. So is there a chapel right by the temple there that, where you attend? Yes, there's a, it's, it's right on the temple grounds. So it's like a, just a one minute walk over, you know, across the parking lot. And then we're in the chapel. Nice. It's a beautiful big chapel for us. We, we, we share it with a different ward, with a second ward, but um, yeah, beautiful. Nice. And how long have you been the bishop there? So I was called to be a bishop in March, 2018. So almost three years ago. And um, yeah, it's been an interesting time. I mean, the, there has been a lot of changes in the church since then. And obviously the last year was quite an interesting one also. I mean, for, for all of us in the church and outside I mean, with, the, with the pandemic going on. Yeah. So we're recording this in February of 2021. And so I feel like with every interview I do, I have to do a little segment of what's the pandemic like for you? So how, how has it been in, in Frankfurt? So, yeah, I think it's very similar to the rest of the world. So we, we have, we're in lockdown at the moment, meaning that we have you know, huge restrictions on and if, who we can meet and how many people we can meet. In terms of church, we have a couple of wards who are actually meeting in, 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 in smaller numbers. We have a few churches who own you know, wards that actually just meet online at the moment. So we had a time actually in the summer where we opened up church again. We, we attended even up to 100 people with a hygiene concept. We were allowed to do that. Now we're back to online. Uh, hopefully beginning of March, the lockdown will be over and then we can go back to actually attending church together again. So it's been a change. It's um, I've seen it's been rough for the youth, especially not being able to see them. The relationship among youth and obviously leaders and youth really lives off of seeing each other, interacting. And every time you actually want to interact with them, now you have to pick up the phone or you know have a video. It's not as natural as it was, you know, trying to do our best here. But I think that's been, been really the greatest challenge is to, to keep up with youth and, and the, the children. Yeah. So I'm curious, so what from your word councils and things, what are some different things that you have been trying during the shutdown to just maintain unity and connection? Yeah, I think so. So one of the things is obviously is that we, we kept going. So we were shut down in March last year and it took us one or two weeks to really understand, okay, this is going to be a long-term thing. And, and the only option we have is to, at this point, do online. So we started very, very early on with, with online Sunday school classes, online uh, sacrament meetings. And we tried to really, yeah, do our best. So we, we tried to perfect it a bit, invite the members to come early. We played some music to kind of, you know, ha- help them have a spiritual experience. In terms of word council, of course, we also just continued word council. We met together, we, we discussed, okay, how can we meet the needs of the different groups of the world? We have the, you know, we have the families who, who have some kind of social interaction amongst each other, obviously, and have different needs. And we have those that, you know, are single that will, you know, potentially be left out, won't have a chance to have, you know, the sacrament potentially, you know, we tried to, you know, we spoke about the children and the youth, what can we do? We had youth classes and so on. But I must say, I think the biggest learning for me was the personal conversations that was for me the key to really keep building relationships in a class setting it's trying to really go for some some personal stories share you know what the members had the opportunity to share how they feel about the situation what they're missing you know what they have learned maybe some good things that happened you know we, we really try to provide the members with as much ex, you know exposure to each other as possible during the christmas time we had every every advent sunday so it's the, the last four sundays before christmas we had we had a devotional that you know some of our members prepared and um, we always try to have some kind of programs so the members could actually be together i think that helped during the pandemic 
That's awesome. That's great. Well, let's jump in as I do with these How I Lead interviews. We generally ask you to prepare two or three principles, leadership thoughts, perspectives that uh, have served you well in your time as a leader and uh, we'll maybe learn from them. So the first one, the first principle you put is personal preparation to lead with authenticity and integrity. How have you gone about doing that? Yeah, I mean, especially in a church setting, there is a different objective in leadership, I find, than in a business setting. Yeah? And in a church setting, the, the objective that we have as leaders is to help people come unto Christ, to help them you know, connect with him, you know, receive the covenants that they need, but also prepare the next generation of leaders. So these are like the two things that, that, that I see as my main objectives as a leader in, in a church setting. And, and for that, I mean, we know it from scripture, you know, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And, and I think that's, that's the absolute basis. Uh, the more I am prepared, the more I know that my relationship with my savior is strong and vibrant, the better I can actually lead the people to him. And, um, and I learned that quite a couple of years ago, I, I, well, I served as a high counselor. I was responsible for the Sarah for Lions initiative in the stakes. It was kind of brand new and, and we, we rolled it out and, and the stake president assigned me to it. And it was great. And um, we had a wonderful team. And at one point, LDS Citati came to, to Germany. He, he was a general authority and he, we sat in a room with him. It was a larger group. I was just attending and listening and I felt something just, I don't know, emanating from this man. I was like, wow, this, he has a spirit around him that was just, it was just inspiring. And, and I remembered, okay, I felt that before, obviously with any general authority that we, that we meet in Germany, it's not, we don't actually meet them that often. I don't know how it is in, in, in Salt Lake city, if you have more opportunity to, and have more exposure to them. Only but, at Costco, but that's it. Uh, okay. That's great. Um, <laughs> but, but that was one point where I thought, okay, this is amazing. I want to have that kind, you know, kind of radiation to other people. Obviously I'm not going to compare myself to a general authority, but, but it just, it triggered something in me. At that point also, I felt like I want to, I always want to be in contact with the same source of that power, which is obviously, you know, um, our savior. And, um, and so that, that also instilled in me the, just the, the desire to live in a way that the Lord could work through me. And in particular, in preparation for, for being called as, as the bishop, a couple of weeks before the state president visited with us and extended the call, I was praying and I was thinking, okay, I need to change something. I wasn't satisfied with the way I served. And I, I just wanted to be of more service to the Lord. And I prayed about it. And, and one Sunday, it was, I think it was beginning of January, one Sunday I I was preparing lunch for the family and I watched the movie On the Lord's Errand, uh, the depiction of President Monson's life, which is amazing. And there were so many things that really radiated to me. And I really felt the spirit, you know, really impressed me on what kind of man I needed to be. So that night I, I sat down and wrote in my journal what kind of person I wanted to be, what kind of servant I wanted to be. And that was really great. And I, I you know, from then on, I, I built on that vision ever since. And I think this also kind of helped me prepare a bit to serve as a bishop, where obviously, you know, in every calling we're we're absolutely dependent on the revelation that, you know, that the Lord is willing to provide. Yeah. And so uh, now that you're serving as a bishop, is there a routine or a day-to-day practice or a week-to-week practice that just helps you make sure you're in that authentic place of integrity? Yes, of course. I mean, so one is, is I, I actually wrote down the vision of, of my service as a bishop. So I, I, I wrote down, it's a one pager of how I want to serve and how, how, how I want to lead, what kind of person I want to be. So that helps me. I think one thing that, that is just critical for me is in, in terms of reconnecting with that vision. It, it reminds me of a, of a movie that I watched a couple of years ago. It's called The Hobbit. Yeah, I'm sure you know it. Great movie. And there's one scene and, it, and that's kind of, that's kind of, it, it kind of pictures 
what I try to do on a regular basis. It's the scene where Frodo, uh, where Bilbo is on his way with with the dwarves. They, they walk through the forest and it's it has a magical spell and they kind of lose completely. They, they lose their orientation. They don't know where they're at. And at one point, Bilbo decides to climb a tree. So he climbs all, you know, the, the tree climbs all the way up and then he, he sees the mountain, yeah, which is also a depiction, you know, obviously that a lot of the mountain in our, you know, in the gospel has, has very special meaning. So he sees the mountain, he breathes fresh air and he knows exactly where he needs to go. And so every week I try, you know, at least once to kind of breathe, you know, fresh air. So to reconnect with who do I want to be and what is, what is my responsibility as a bishop? I go through the handbook again. I check, okay, what are the, my main responsibilities and am I on track or am I, you know, am I diverting? Potentially, because that happens. I mean, I, I see that often with myself that, I, okay, hold on, no stop. I need to readjust. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm wasting my time or I'm spending time with stuff that is not necessarily important. And so I'm trying to, you know, I'll, I'll then try to just readjust to, to what is my responsibility? What's my vision? And then, you know, with that vision, I find that I can, it's a lot easier to say no to certain things. It's a lot easier to, even to good things, you know, to, to put them aside or to delegate them completely to the Elders Quorum or to Relief Society or, you know, some kind of committee with a clear vision of where I actually need to go. Yeah. Yeah. There's another maybe example I can share. A couple of years ago, I watched a show which is called Designated Survivor. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but it's, it's about an American senator who becomes president because of a horrible attack. So, so he's president. And at one point, he, he brings in the former, one of the former presidents as an advisor. And, um, and as they speak, um, the former president says something that I really, really found interesting and it's stuck with me ever since. So the, the new president asks, okay, how, how am I doing? Yeah. Give me some feedback. And then the, the old president says, okay, you're actually, you know, you're screwing this up. This is not working. And then he says one thing. He says, you are, you are reacting. You are not leading. And that is a very, very good description, I think, of, of us as leaders in the church. If, if we get caught up, we start reacting. We just react to whatever comes up. You know, the, the agenda, okay, we just work through the agenda and then let's hope we get everything covered. Instead of actually, okay, what is the agenda? Okay, let's, let's move some stuff off the agenda and let's actually put those things on that, that promote the vision that we have for the world. You know, that, that promote where we actually want to go that promote the growth that we want to initiate and the faith promoting activities that we want to have. Now, so yeah. having that vision I find is, is critical. Uh, I love that. Especially in, in these times, sometimes you feel like all you can do is react. I mean, there's, there's new things and there's a shutdown and what, well, what can I, can I do? My hands are tied. Right. But those are really the moments where we need a leader rather than just somebody who's reacting and, and trying to shuffle things around. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, reacting obviously is important. It's part of it, right? There's, there's change and, and you can't just, you know, have your, your vision or, and you just, just plow through. Obviously there's people involved, there's needs that need to be met. So I'm not, I'm not advocating just, you know, disregarding that. But what I do find is that when you have that clear vision, you can prioritize better. Yes? If you have the vision and, and our vision for this year, for example, in the world is, is based on Alma 48 to Alma 50. So this is Moroni and the Nephites, and they, they are at war with the Lamanites. And they are all separated in different cities. Yeah? And then and Moroni goes ahead and he fortifies every single city. And, and, and this is kind of you know, the vision that we had, is we want every single home 
to be a fortification against evil. We want every single home implementing what the prophet taught us. We want every single home implementing Come Follow Me, the youth and you know children and youth initiative. We want them to focus on receiving revelation, living in a way that revelation can be received. So all of the things that the prophet has stressed the last couple of years, including ministering, and we, we try to focus on within that context to strengthen, to strengthen the home so that it actually becomes a fortification. And with that vision, and we have changed the agenda of the World Council. Yeah, we have um, actually one of your podcasts helped me to to kind of uh, you know swap out a few things of the agenda. We have the handbook who gives us uh, which gives us already you know how the agenda should look. But but the content of the agenda I switched. So what we did after I, I listened to one of your your podcasts on meetings was every agenda point needs to have a question. Yeah, so actually, it needs to have three things. The first thing is a question. If you can't phrase an agenda point into a question, then it's probably not prepared yet to be on the agenda of, of any council. That's my personal opinion. It's not doctrine of the church, obviously. But I found that when we can phrase it into a very specific question, then we have thought enough about the point to put it on the agenda. The second point that every agenda point needs, and, my, and the executive secretary makes, makes sure that that happens, is is an objective what is the objective of this agenda point now if we if we have a name let's say the, the name on the on the you know world council agenda is kurt franken it's like okay uh, great i mean is he okay is his family struggling does he need help i'm here so nobody knows what's going on <laughs> exactly yeah so maybe he wants to perform so nobody knows what's what's happening so some may expect we, we just talk and some may expect we need to make a decision because help is needed so so the second point is having a very clear objective of what we want to achieve. So is it a decision that needs to be made? Is it just brainstorming? Is it counseling? Is, you know, what exactly? And the third thing that has to be on there is, is context. So in bullet points, as short as possible, brevity and clarity is, is what is the context for this specific agenda item so that everyone can come prepared. And, and I'm reminded of, of Elder Bednar's quote that, that what counsel should be a revelatory experience. And it can be a revelatory experience if we have information download going on and if nobody is prepared or if we have to start thinking about a problem when we are there, that's, that's, that's just way too late. And, you know, we need, we need a couple of days praying about the problem, speaking about this, clarifying it, and then we can come together and we can actually counsel. So we, we're really trying hard to, to do this and to implement this, um, to, to just stay focused on the, what the actual vision is. Because we, yeah. we do get distracted to, to very, very, very quickly. We have a large ward. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, and we wouldn't have enough time for ward council if, if we covered everything. Yeah. And I think the interview you uh, are referring to is with Stephen Rogelberg, if people want to check it out. And it was uh, on the podcast, but also part of the meetings with Saints Virtual Summit. Definitely. It was phenomenal. Great, great one to check out. So yeah. uh, any examples of, of that? Like, how does that anything come to mind of where you took an agenda item and, and applied those three things? Yeah, sure. So let's 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 say we have a bishopric meeting. Let's uh, that comes to mind quickly. So we do the same in bishopric. So if we have a calling that we need to extend, we obviously uh, okay. Say, guys, if if you have a suggestion, you know, let me know. Or even if if the release study president comes, okay, we need to we want to extend the the calling to this system. Then then what we want to what I would like to know is, is give me you know give me the context of what's the objective, what do you need the sister to do, why do you believe this is a, a good fit, so we can think about that. In terms of ward council, I'm trying to think of a of a recent example. Okay, let's. So we recently discussed. Okay, do we 
do we want to build a committee for family search? Yeah, so we have a goal for a number of members that we want to have you know, names um, enlisted in the temple. And so, okay, we, we just said, okay, let's, let's discuss briefly, do we want a committee? So we, we said, okay, the agenda point would be committee for family history. The objective was decision, you know, whether to build a committee and, and how. And then the context would be, we remind our board council of the actual goal that we set. So we said, okay, this is the number we want to reach. This means that many members. And this means every week we need two or three members filing names. So this means what do we need to do, right? We need, maybe we need virtual temple week. Maybe we need activities in Reef Society, youth, you, know, you name it. There's, so we gave all of this context to the ward council and said, please come prepared. Let's discuss in 10 minutes how, what's the best way of achieving this goal through a committee, or maybe we have a better idea. And so, and this is what we did. And then we came together and we, we discussed and, 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 you know, in essence, you know, obviously the, the structure is already there. We have an, we have someone from Elders Quorum who is the first, you know, kind of like one of the responsibilities of him is, is to, to um, you know, manage family history. Same with Relief Society. And we have two or three other members called. So, so we decide, okay, let's put those together and let them worry about this, this goal. Let, let them find a, a concept. Let's let them, you know, prepare a, a virtual family history of um, Temple Week, you know. So, we will see what they come up with, but the decision was that, okay, we will, we will move this to them. We will actually have them report in the ward council monthly so we can, you know, keep track of this. So we can put it back on the agenda to reach our goal and to, to move forward to our vision. I hope that was a, a, a great depiction. Okay. Yeah, I think that uh, that was clear and uh, and helpful. So another principle you mentioned on here is is empowerment. And I'm intrigued by this because this is a very difficult thing that sometimes doesn't get... <laughs> a lot of dialogue about because it's hard to empower those that you lead. And so how do you go about uh, empowering those that you lead? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I mean, that, that goes back to the, the second point, I think is this, as, as leaders, the main thing, the main thing for me is we don't just want to get stuff done, right? We're not a company that is, that is trying to earn money, right? It's, and it's not even my, it's not my word. I'm, I'm called to serve for a certain amount of time and then I have something else to do. So my objective, or one of my objectives as a leader is to prepare the next generation to, to become leaders. And, and I, have, I have had that same experience and I, and I was reflecting on this and I, and I found multiple examples yeah, when I was a young man, for example, my young man's president, Florian, he was he was one of my best friends. Yeah, he became at least one of my best friends and one of those that I trusted much. And when I was about sixteen, I was I played a lot of football, soccer. It is yeah for you guys. Yeah. Uh, I, I called it football. So I played. I was into it. I loved it. I played it since I was three. I was playing on a team until I went on my mission. So that was mine. And I and I told Flo, I said, okay, I, I want to I want to set up a tournament. Yeah, I want to get wards together and I want to beat all of them. I want to. You know, I, you know, and, and we did. And he said, okay, well, you, you can't do that. You're not, you're not, you're not 18. So you're not allowed to sign anything. You're not, to, you're not allowed to rent anything, but he said, I, I will help you. You prepare it and, and I will help you. And, and, and we did, right? So I set up this tournament. I invited loads of wards and actually the second counselor in my bishop, bishopric now, he was one of the guys that came up to play against us at that time. And now he lives here and, and we can serve together. And so, so, and you know, as, as we, as we were preparing this, you know, he basically, he made me feel I did everything, you know, and I probably didn't. I still feel I did everything, but I probably actually probably didn't. And it was a wonderful time. And the same thing happened to me basically on my mission when, you know, my, my trainer, he, he's a British guy called Matt Preston, really, really fine guy. And we're still very good friends. 
So that when, when he picked me up from the mission home, we, we boarded a train. We went back to the city where we were serving. We, we were picked up by a member, put our stuff, put my stuff in the, in the trunk of the car, and we drove to a, to a teaching appointment, right? So, no, we didn't go home. We went teaching right away. It was, was great. And so as we were sitting there teaching, my trainer, obviously, he started the you know, he started teaching, you know, it, it was his job. I didn't have a clue what was going on. And then at one point he stopped teaching and he turned to me. He just, he just looked at me and he had, he had the audacity to just keep looking until I started teaching. And so I started teaching and I don't even know what we were teaching. And I was so nervous, but I started teaching. And since then, everything, same night, I reported to the zone leaders the next morning. I did everything. I did every single call. I, I coordinated every appointment. It was always my door until we got in, you know, and so, and he taught me how to, how to study the scriptures you know he made me actually write talks on gospel principles before we before we went you know a bit deeper to study you know some interesting uh, principles in the evenings but so all of these things i I've, i learned and you know all of this helped me to become you know the missionary that i needed to become a lot quicker than if if he hadn't done that and and that's the same you know even even now with um, with the leaders that i have here um so I think in terms of empowerment, it's it's one, I want all of the leaders in, in, in even all of the members that have a calling, I want them to have joy in, in serving. And I want them to have everything they need in order to grow. So one of the one of the principles that I think is key to to have to them to have joy is is to to really catch the vision of what they're doing. I think this is critical. I mean, we, we give out assignments. The members do everything on their free time. And I think understanding the why. What is it that we're doing here really, really helps them to fulfill their calling with joy and to magnify it. Now, if you're a Sunday school teacher for the youth, for example, if, if you really understand it, you have these youth for, for an, you know, just two hours a month uh, at this point, you know, but you can really influence them. You can help them have a spiritual experience, which will carry them through the week. This changes the way we move forward. And if we, if you then, if we then provide them with what they need in order to fulfill this, it, be it training, be it feedback, be just you know, um, you know some praise for example yeah what, whatever is needed um, they will they will perform a lot better so it sounds like a lot of this it's uh the process of sort of the the mentorship but you know being by their side guiding them through these things and showing them that they actually can do these things and making sure they understand what the point of it is what the vision is what we're trying to accomplish yeah definitely and then always always helping them, you know, go back to the actual source of, of all knowledge, yeah, which is the Lord, um, you know, really making them self-reliant in a way that they understand, okay, what, what, what kind of resources do I have? And, and, and the first, uh, all of the, the, the people that I call, I, I sent them to the handbook first. I, I, recently, we made same changes in the Release Society presidency. So as I was extending the call to the new Release Society president, which is a really, really strong and really capable woman, and I, I really appreciate her. And, and, and the first thing she said is, wow, uh, you know, um, I can't do what the other Relief Society presidents did, right, in the past. And, and this is, I don't know if you have this, but this, this comes up a lot, yeah? It's like, we have, we have in mind what a Relief Society president should be doing because we've seen it in the past. And, and, and I told her, and, I've, and I really felt impressed even beforehand to tell her, just forget everything that you know about Relief Society presidents. And that was my assignment to her. I said, forget everything, go to the handbook, read it. And then and pray and get your errand from the Lord, and you will know exactly what to focus on. And and that's what she did. And we spoke about this. And and since then they have been amazing. Yeah, they have really uh, in in just a short couple of months they have done a lot. And so 
I think a part of empowering them is making myself, you know, dispensable. They they don't they shouldn't need me to receive revelation. They should obviously there's things to coordinate. You know, we don't want organizations to do their own, you know, push their own agenda. Obviously, but when the direction is right, the handbook does a very good job, and especially personal revelation. It, that's that's what we want, right? We want our leaders to receive revelation, to recognize revelation, to have the faith and the courage to act on it. Because that's when they feel confident. They know, okay, the, the Lord can, they, with his help, I can actually do this. I, I not only do this, but I can, I can change lives. I can inspire people. I can make inspired decisions that in the end will do good for other people. And, and I think when a leader learns that this is going to last for a lot longer than I will be serving as a bishop, this, is, this, can, this can bless generations. Yeah? So I think this is the focus is, is obviously guiding them towards the Lord, but at one point, you know, having them just be taught and tutored by the Spirit itself and just, you know, check in, obviously, regularly with personal conversations, how things are going. But ultimately, that's where we want them to go. We want them to approach the Savior and receive revelation and, and then through that serve more effectively. Yeah, I love that. Just this idea of, because you're essentially giving them permission to lead, right? That it's so easy to feel like, oh, I, I think I'm supposed to do what the last person did and they must've figured something out and I'd hate to, you know, do it completely different, but for a leader to give them permission to say, hey, let's, let's forget all that. And of course we can keep some of the good stuff or go back to it, but let's imagine, mm-hmm. you know, nothing about relief society. All you have is the handbook and to, to move forward to his guidance. And that, that stimulates a lot of revelation. Plus it gives, them permission to try new things, right? To, to seek your own inspiration and then, then roll with it. Absolutely. And it gives them, again, it, it gives them courage to say no to certain things, right? There's, there's always going to be sisters who have a certain demand that the Relief Society present does certain things. Yeah. Um, and, and with, with getting that errand from the Lord through inspiration, through the handbook, and obviously through, through discussions with the bishopric, now the Relief Society president can really deal with that in, without having a bad conscience, you know, to, to say, okay, I, I can't, I can't actually do this, you know, or I can't go shopping for this, for this woman every week. I just can't do it. I have a full-time job. I have my own family, right? So, and then knowing that there is a system in place, like ministering, for example, you know, that can deal with, with certain things or self-reliance that we can promote. Um, yeah, it just gives, I think my experience is that the leader then has also just less conflict within themselves. They know where they're going. They have that vision, you know, because of the handbook and because of the spirit and they can move. Yeah. Love it. This uh, next principle you talk about is uh, influence. Leadership is much about influencing people to move. And this is like one of the top questions we always get at leading saints is how how do I motivate people? They're not doing what I say. So what's your perspective and, and, and way of influencing or motivating people? Yeah. So I think the, the first approach I try to take is nobody has to do anything, right? I mean, this is, this is a completely voluntary church. So if someone doesn't want to serve, they don't, they don't want to serve. Obviously we encourage it. And, and there is doctrine behind why service is so key. Yeah. And, and also when we, when we think about the temple, um, you know, making certain covenants, it, it includes some type of service, but, but it's not about judging. So yeah, influence. I mean, I've, I've, I've read a book or two on leadership and, and, you know, one says, okay, you know, influence is the, is the key to leadership. In a way, I think it is. In, in a church setting, I find that relationship is key. When we have a good relationship with people, and that includes um, obviously spending time talking, getting to know them, but also it includes being, just being authentic. Yeah, I mean, I know that's a big word. What I mean with that is, is that 
you know, we are vulnerable because we're, we're not perfect. You know, I'm, I, I serve as the bishop, but obviously I have weaknesses. My wife will be the first to tell you I have bad days. You know, we in, in March and in May, we, we, we just had our third daughter. I mean, that shakes up our world and, and we have good and bad nights regularly. So it's difficult. Yeah, life is difficult at, at one point. Yeah, we, we will have at, at the moment we have the pandemic. People are alone. You know, our, our kids are at home. Um, my daughter is she's 10. My other daughter, she's, she's struggling a bit with, you know, having school from home. So so we have we have struggles. Life is not perfect. And, and being a member of the church does not mean that that we are free of trouble. You know, everything is at ease. And I think being just open and honest about this and letting people know we're, we're all in the same boat here. We, we are struggling. You know, we're working towards it. We have faith and we have hope and we move forward. And we, you know, that helps members at least yeah, connect on a, on a personal level. And I, th- I find that that is, that is important. The next point is, it's just really sh- um, yeah, spending time with the members if possible. And it's not, it's not a, a huge amount of time, I find. It's, it's just a short amount of time, but very intense and very present. Yeah? One example, if I can share one, is, was last year's tithing settlement. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's the opportunity for the bishop with, to meet with as many members as possible. And so with the pandemic, obviously, you know, the handbook tells, you know, defines it more or less as, as something that the members, you know, are to report more than the bishop asking for it. But, but, but last year, uh, I felt impressed to invite every single active household to meet with me. So I had my uh, exec sex say, OK, find a schedule. I give you three nights the, the, the week and just book the members in, send them the appointment. And if they need to reschedule, reschedule. Otherwise, we just we just go through it. And so I had like 10, 15 minutes with each of the households and it was, it was really nice. I was prepared. I, you know, I shared a spiritual thought that, that I really felt was, you know, something that the members could learn from me. I, you know, I quoted DNC 119 verse six. I spoke with the members about what Zion actually is and how tithing can sanctify Zion. It was great. And we, you know, we have members in the world who, you know, many members who pay an honest tithing and are so faithful and it's it's really inspiring to speak with members to to learn of their of their experiences learn of their trials and how they're faithful it's really really humbling to see how powerful that faith is in many members and then obviously you have a few members who, who are also faithful but have maybe have some struggles with tithing even they forget to pay or you know they haven't paid for certain reasons and and it was really interesting with every single member as i was spoke i was speaking to them and i shared this scripture with them and i and i shared a quote and I, and and i asked them how they feel about this every single one responded in a positive way and actually you know then committed to to changing and and you know repenting and and paying tithing because of the doctrine that was taught and one thing that i really found special is is we had a not only we spoke about tithing i took a couple of minutes obviously to speak to you know how they were doing and and everything and and if there were some topics that i felt i needed to follow up on i, I made a note and i called them up just a couple of days later to to speak a bit at every end, at the end of every of those encounters, I um, we had obviously we had a closing prayer, and I asked if I could give it. So for I, that was that was my chance, you know, to pray with and for every single family in the ward, and I, and I thought that was really really special. When do we have an opportunity to pray with and for the family in an, on an individual level? You know, we we have that at tithing settlement, and I took that opportunity. And and for some, I'm sure it was no big deal, you know, just a prayer like any other. But for some others at least I received the feedback later. It was really, was just, it really was good for them. Right? They said, well, the words that you said, that's something that I really needed to hear. And it, it touched me or, you know, or they said, wow, you know, we're, we're grateful that, that we could pray together. So 
So I, I you know, I saw this as an opportunity to, to really connect with them on a personal level. And, and I actually, I, I mean it, right? That's, that's the thing. It's not something that I do because I, I, Chris, I, you know, I really try to mean it and be honest and, you know, and to love them just the way they are, because I know they're wonderful people and we all have struggles. And, and that's, I think that resonates and the people feel it. And I think that's, that's the, that's the foundation that, that I think I need in order to, to have some influence. Because in the church, when you serve as a bishop, you, people will, I mean, they will, they will give you, you know, similarly where you're the bishop. So they say, okay, whatever you say goes yeah, uh, to a certain extent. So it's like Stephen Covey speaks about the emotional bank account, right? So, so you have, yeah. you have, you have a plus yeah, right from the start. If you, if you lead in the church yeah? and, and it's, it's, it's your job not to, to mess that up through you no know, decisions or, you know, the way you do it. For let it you know for it to go into a minus. So you, you we start with a head start, and we and what we then need to do is just build build on that by by just you know loving the people and letting them feel that, and just spending a bit of time with them. Yeah. No. I, I, man, everything you said, I I, I just am wanted you to preach it. It's just great. You know, as far as influence influence is nothing without that relationship, and sometimes we assume that influence comes from authority when in reality influence comes from relationship and in you in those times of building relationship are usually when you don't need a lot of influence but suddenly when you need influence if you haven't done the groundwork to form that relationship it's a lot a lot harder so and I, another i want to underscore your your idea of, as far as tithing center just like assigning the slots because most of the time people they can be there whenever they if you just tell them when to be there yeah i can make that work right especially if it's an evening during the week or whatever and if they can't then yeah you'll reschedule but sometimes as especially in a tithing context it's so difficult to just get them to do the appointment let alone meet with them and so (laughs) you just get the hard work out of the way and, and move forward, you know? So. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I'm, I met with 95% of active members, so it actually, it worked really, really well. I was surprised. I, I didn't expect that to, it to work that well, but the members were great. They were saying, okay, yeah, no problem. I'll lock into zoom for 15 minutes and, and have a chat. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was, it was great. And I think in terms of influence, I think one key is also is for us not to try to influence, right? It's the, the objective is not to necessarily to influence, but to really ask the right questions in the way that people reflect and then make their decisions on their own, right? I mean, it's, it's not me telling you, okay, you, you need to do this, right? I mean, in the end, of course, there, there may be some counsel that need to be given. Of course, that will that will happen. But if we put it into, obviously, you know, putting it into a question, discussing, rephrasing the question to, to help people kind of uncover it on their own and then making, you know, discussing what the best way to move forward would be, you know, that's when the people feel also then again, they feel empowered, right? They don't feel like I just tell them what they need to do. They actually feel, okay, I can figure this out on my own. You know, next time I, I won't, I won't actually, you know, need to talk to the Bishop August because I know the process of receiving revelation or I know the process of, of, you know, weighing pros and cons and, and moving forward. And, and I think that is also something that when, when people feel that, that we are really here to help them shine and to help them grow. That's when they will be open for us to, to actually give some advice and, and, you know, help on the way a bit. Yeah. Joshua, this has been so good. There's so much we could uh, talk about and dissect, but these are some solid principles. I think people can ponder over, apply. And I've just, I'm inspired by, you know, you see yourself as a student of leadership and, and in our correspondence, we've talked, like you've shared different things that you do just to, 
dive in and figure out the the science of leadership, the different thoughts that are out there and see how you can apply it. And that really goes a long way in some of these, these roles, especially as a lay leader. So uh, last question I have for you, uh, Joshua, is as you have had opportunity, as you think back at your time as a bishop to lead, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Yeah, that's a, that's that's a good question. I think in the end, obviously, all of us as leaders are our followers. Right? We we follow keys in the church, so that that right there helps us, you know, to follow. I think in terms of following Christ, what I've learned is that with, without the influence of the Savior, I'm 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 helpless, right? I mean, you can't really help members grow spiritually to a measure of maturity without without the Savior, without the Spirit. Yeah, we're alone. We're helpless. That's the first. I think the first lesson that I learned. And the, thing, the second is the, the principle of stewardship, which, which I really like. I mean, Jacob 5 in the Book of Mormon teaches it great. I mean, we as stewards, we're dependent on the Lord's counsel. And we're dependent on him teaching us where we need to go. And then obviously we have our small ground that we you know that we can plow. And recently I learned this principle from a Disney movie. I watched the new King Lion King with my kids recently. Yeah, it's, it's great. And there is this scene right at the beginning when Mufasa sits with Simba on this, on this huge uh, rock and, and they overlook the kingdom. And then Mufasa tells him, okay, one day, you know, my time will be over and you will be king and this will be yours. Yeah, this will be the kingdom. And then, so all of this will be mine. Yeah, and Mufasa then, then answers, no, none of this is yours, but it is yours to protect. Yeah, and, and I love this principle. It's like, that's, that's kind of what stewardship is, right? I mean, this is not, it's not our ward. It's not our relief society. It's not our eldest quorum, but it's ours to protect. It's ours to lead for this, just this particular time. And, um, and we have a great responsibility. We have a great opportunity even to build faith in the Savior. We have a great opportunity to, to help people believe in themselves, yeah, that with the help of the Savior, they can do great things. And with this, and I've seen it, we, we can bless generations. And so, um, yeah, this is, I think, uh, as we follow the Lord, he, he will help us, you know, do obviously do things that we, we, that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. And, and with it, if we serve with all our heart within our stewardships, then, then miracles can happen. And, um, and we are dependent upon him, but he's also very, very gracious. concludes my interview with Joshua Konitz. Really appreciate his willingness to uh, step forward and chat with me on the Facebook Live that uh, then turned into a podcast. And uh, I love these international episodes when we get outside of the United States and hear about the church in far off countries and uh, maybe how, how things are different there and new approaches are required and we can learn from those uh, those perspectives. And we I would love to have more uh, international women on this uh, How I Lead segment. And so if you know somebody who is a, a sister who's out there doing a good work as a leader. We would love to hear from her and get her on the How I Lead uh, segment and uh, talk about the primary presidency, uh, Relief Society presidency. Uh, I mean, there's so many leadership callings that uh, we could explore through the eyes of our international sisters uh, throughout the world. So go to leadingsaints.org slash contact if you have any ideas, and we'd love to reach out to them and make it happen. And remember, text the word LEAD to 474747 in order to access the three most popular sessions of the Liberating Saints Library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.